Welcome everybody, my name's Steve Taylor from the Rear Grande Guardian. Welcome to our latest podcast. Today we're focusing on the Greater Brownsville Incentives Corporation. We were lucky enough to get an interview with César de Leon, the chairman of the Greater Brownsville Incentives Corporation, and the man he hoped would become the new executive director. That's Mario Lozoya, Governmental Relations and External Affairs Director for the Toyota Corporation in San Antonio. Well, by now, the hope was that Mario Lozoya would be the Executive Director of GBEC, the Greater Brownsville Incentives Corporation. However, one of the board members from GBEC was not happy with the appointment. Uh, she felt that uh, the GBEC doesn't have, does not have the authority to appoint an executive director. And on top of that, the meeting where that appointment took place, she feels uh, there was problems with the um, Open Meetings Act and the public being told about it. All that to say, there's been a, a temporary re- a temporary restraining order placed upon the appointment and tomorrow Wednesday in court the issue should get resolved we'll know one way or the other tomorrow uh, as to whether Mario Lozoya gets that new position as executive director of the Greater Brownsville Incentives Corporation Uh, for those that don't know much about that group it's basically the city of Brownsville's economic development arm it's a replacement for the old Brownsville Economic Development Corporation. The shorthand for it is GBEC. We were lucky enough to get an interview, as I said, with Mario Lozoya and Cesar de Leon. So we're, on, we're not sure at this stage uh, what's going to happen with the, uh, the temporary restraining order and that court challenge. But in the meantime, we thought it appropriate to play for you the entire interview we got with Mario Lozoya and Cesar de Leon. Here it is this honor and with a lot of enthusiasm that I would like to introduce our new director for the Greater Brownsville Center Corporation, Mr. Mario Lasoya. Mario, congratulations. Right. I'm doing great. Welcome on board. Thank you very much. I'm very excited. Very excited for the opportunity. Uh, I've always looked for an opportunity for me to come and do some good in the Valley. And I think this is the opportunity. And, uh, and when I met the team down here, I think there's a huge opportunity with this collaboration currently. And how can I be part of it? And I'm uh, really excited about it, looking forward to it. Well, I am glad you've accepted uh, our offer. We are glad to have you, and I think this is a catalyst for the future of not just of Browns, but the whole Valley. Uh, we know that your leadership at the state level has influenced a lot in the areas of workforce and advanced manufacturing. And we're now happy to be able to bring all your knowledge and know-how, not just to Browns, but to the Valley. And that way the Valley can become a leader in advanced manufacturing, especially in these times. Thank you, Commissioner. and. Uh, you're right, my intention is to come and help not only Brownsville, and, but to try to set processes and establish processes that we can share across the valley. So it's gonna be very important for us to create those allies and those relationships across the valley as we move forward. I'll ask a few questions now, if I may. First of all, starting with yourself, Cesar, tell us what GBEC, Greater Brownsville Incentives Corporation, is. For those that don't know, tell us a little bit about it. Of course, Steve. Well, uh, back in the 80s, the state legislature created economic development corporations. Uh, there's two types in Texas, are type A's and type B's. Uh, GBEC is what's called a type B, economic, type A, economic development. And for every dollar that we receive in sales tax, from the state of Texas, a quarter goes to GBEC, which is the Greater Browns Incentive Corporation, or Type A, and a quarter cents goes to uh, what is called the BCIC, Brownsville Community Improvement Corporation, who focuses mainly on quality of life projects. 
Um, this comes to the tune of a couple million dollars, and GBIC is solely responsible for all the economic development for the city of Brownsville. In um, a lot of cities in the Rio Grande Valley, these groups such as this are called the Economic Development Corporation. Um, tell us a little bit about the fact that this group, GBIC, um, basically has over superseded what you used to have in place, which was an Economic Development Corporation. There isn't one now, is there? Well, there, there is not, Steve. Uh, I think most uh, entities in the state of Texas throughout the 90s, they followed a two-tiered model where there was a the type A, and then they would hire a nonprofit that would actually run the economic development. That nonprofit would have its own director and its own board of directors. Um, throughout the years now, into the years 2000, we've seen everybody move away from that model and actually having a director that's part of the community actually run it. And that way we start moving away from particular interest and we start moving into what I call greater areas, which is infrastructure, workforce development, and we're not focusing on our particular business but we're actually focusing on creating the environment for businesses wanting to come to our municipality. And that is one of the reasons that Brownville decided to just do away with that two-tiered model and just leave GBIC in place. We wanted to focus not just on what is people regularly think of economic development, which is really getting towns businesses from the outside coming in. Uh, most models will tell you that only about 10% of your economic development is from companies coming from the outside. 90% of your economic development is growth from with, within. The other thing that's important to consider is that we've also seen throughout the United States what I call a race to the bottom. Uh, we saw it with Amazon, where a lot of cities were just throwing money at Amazon, is who will offer more money to Amazon? Well, unfortunately, here in the Valley and in Brownsville, we don't have the resources that a city like San Antonio or Austin or Houston has or Chicago to compete. So we have to find other ways of competing. And our idea, or my idea as chairman of GBEC, is creating the infrastructure and creating the base for companies wanting to relocate here. Why? Because we have the infrastructure, we have the workforce, we have the colleges, and we have a whole community that will back you. This isn't about a couple hundred dollars at a company. This is about creating an environment for the company to want to stay here, not just for one or two years, but for a lifetime. And now tell us um, <clears throat> the attributes you saw in Mario. Tell us a, what, what, what was special about him that made you know and think fr from the get-go, he's the guy for us. Well, I will tell you, uh, first of all, Mario's a Marine. Uh, <laughs> so I think uh, I am uh, proud of all our Marines. They have served uh, gallantly in every single armed conflict. Uh, they are always the first ones there. Um, and I think that just being a Marine and being part of that family really defines a person. Um, aside from that, I saw that Mario is a true fighter because when it comes to the world of economic development, we are competing not just with the Valley and Texas, we're competing with the world. And I think when you have uh, somebody like Mario who has been in the service for many years, has been around the world with the service, and then worked for a multinational company like Toyota, he learned two very particular set of skills. One is leadership, and is, the other one is working within a large bureaucracy that works around the world. So being able to lead and manage are the two most positive attributes I saw in Mr. Lasoya. And uh, I am very proud. I, I know he's done great work at Toyota, especially when it came to advanced manufacturing. Uh, a lot of people don't know, but Toyota was really the catalyst for the south side of San Antonio. And it's really what has boomed uh, San Antonio. I think that and it moving into the uh, cloud computing through Mr. Weston are the two things that have really catalyzed San Antonio. Uh, it's now one of the largest growing cities in the nation. But I really think that everything started with Toyota. Toyota was that first company that said, you know what, we're gonna take our bet on San Antonio. And the man sitting next to me was a person they appointed to lead that vision. So I mean, if a multinational company like Toyota chose him, and somebody like the Marines chose him, 
then I am very confident that our choice was the right one. And uh, leadership and being able to manage are the two things that I think Mario brings to the table. You've hit some incredible home runs in recent years, the most notably obviously SpaceX, but also the SATA group and the, the bus company coming in, manufacturers. Have you given yourself certain goals with Mario to say this is the level, this is where we want to get to? Of course, and I will tell you, Steve, uh, our, our main goal was one day attracting a company like Toyota. But what I always, uh, in our conversations, it, we've always spoken about incrementalism. And I think everything in life is by increments. You have to go piece by piece, step by step. And I think one of the things that we like to think is of the big home runs, that great success story. But people don't realize that that's just a snapshot of maybe a long trajectory of many events that lead you to that point. And I think uh, the city of Brownsville has been, had a lot of little, let's say we've hit a, a run, we have a runner in first, we had a runner in second, we had a runner in third, and now we have Mario up the bat, and now we're actually ready to start hitting some home runs. And I think it's that piecemealing it that really makes the difference. So when I start looking at where we can actually start looking, there are two areas, and I think Mario's better poised to talk about some of the areas we want to focus our economic development. But I will tell you, now that you mentioned SpaceX, SpaceX is a company that's basically integrated. I mean, I, I guess they're vertically integrated, like 90%. They produce about 90% of their components in LA. And uh, one of the things is, how do we create the network of businesses or the supply chains to actually be able to sell it to SpaceX. You see, and that's the only thing that will give us true economic development. And I think that leads me to something else that we've spoken about in the past, that what, why is the valley, why are the poverty rates at the valley what they are? And uh, a lot of people talk about, well, we're a border. We have a lot of ports of entry. And we spoke about the Laredo model. Well, even though Laredo is the largest land point in the United States, they are still essentially poor, just like Brownsville. Per capita, we are very poor. But what happens? There's no value added to any products, it's just flow through, it's just passing through, we're not adding value, and that's why we are not getting wealthier. We have no value added. So the goal that we're setting with Mario is, how do we create that value added? And the value added goal is how do we lure these companies that one day become suppliers, not only to SpaceX, but to others like Greyhound or to Sata. How do we create that network of businesses, that clusters that we've always spoken about? Okay, well let's move on to Mario. Mario, I know uh, an incredible, um, uh, platform here for you. Before we, we get into the details of, of you, what you're specifically hoping to do and believe you can do for this city and this region, tell us just a little bit more about yourself and so that the public knows who you are. I know you're a Valley native. Yes, yeah, so thank you for that and that's very important to me because I think uh, I need to find a way to connect to the people to understand that it has somebody that looks after their interests personally. Uh, I was born in Mexico, in Rio Bravo, Tamaulipas specifically, not very far from here, but I was raised in McAllen. I was four years old when my parents had the foresight to come to, to the United States and we landed in McAllen. I graduated from a high school in McAllen Memorial, McAllen Memorial High School. And um, I saw what this country did in terms of offering opportunities to my family. So I thought I should serve and give back. And uh, to Sasha's point, I, I joined the Marines and uh, thinking that I was going to do four to six years, uh, next thing I know is 23 years later, I decided to retire. I'm a combat, combat veteran of the Iraqi War. Uh, my experience in the Marine Corps is uh, fragmented in uh, numerous uh, experiences. I started as an information systems specialist, an IT guy, thinking that I was be doing John Wayne things with the Marine Corps, but it turns out that uh, I started off doing information systems technology. Um, from that, I did, a, I did that for about nine to 10 years. After that, I became a curriculum developer. The Marine Corps thought that I should start working in curriculum for them, and I developed doctrine that we then implemented uh, uh, around the world. So I had a lot of experience doing that. 
uh, then uh, the Marine Corps thought I should do military law. So I'm, I'm a graduate of the Naval Justice School in San Diego, California. I did military law for a few years until 9-11 hit and I asked the boss if I could go back and do Marine Corps things. And um, so the next, the next lot available for me at that time was an international supply chain. So I went to school in Athens, Georgia. Next thing I know, I'm uh, assigned to the team that established the supply chain between California and Baghdad before we went into, into uh, Iraq. So I went and had that experience and I thought that I should retire. I, was, I had enough uh, time away from Texas, away from, from my family. So coincidentally, uh, my last uh, assignment was for me to share my experiences in combat. I was assigned to uh, an aviation unit. So at that time, the Marine Corps was looking to streamline Marine Corps aviation using uh, lean processes. So my first assignment was to study the Toyota Way. And uh, so uh, in learning the Toyota Way, while I was about to complete that course, I just had a casual phone call with a friend of mine here in Texas who told me, hey, by the way, Toyota's putting a plant in San Antonio. And ignorant me, I thought, I know Toyota, I should apply to a plant. <laughs> Make the long story short, uh, uh, Toyota hired me. Uh, I was a manufacturing supervisor, and I figured out that I did not know Toyota like I thought <laughs> I did. But um, four years of uh, working in the manufacturing environment, uh, and since I mentioned that, that when, when Toyota came to San Antonio, I was one of the first supervisors hired for that company, and I was part of strategizing the footprint in the south side of San Antonio. How do we bring suppliers around us? How do we become more effective and more uh, sustainable long-term? And a uh, huge uh, opportunity for me to learn from a global company like Toyota. Four years in, uh, I was asked to move into administration and assume a role of government relations. So I've been executing this particular role uh, with Toyota for nine years. And in this role now, what I do is I, I uh, lead the efforts in Texas in government relations, uh, community engagement, I manage a large philanthropy budget, and I also do media relations. So in that space, I became then known as a, a very knowledgeable education and workforce person because that was my assignment externally in helping mitigate workforce conditions for the company. And in doing that, uh, the lieutenant governor thought that I was an asset for him, and he appointed me to several state boards to help uh, find opportunities in Texas as a state level to uh, improve conditions for Texans in education and workforce programs. So I have that experience. Uh, at the federal level, Toyota asked me to serve uh, with the Congressional Hispanic Caucus. We, were, we had an opportunity to, to have a board member, and uh, I'm currently chairing the governance committee for the Congressional Hispanic Caucus Institute. So I sit with members of Congress and we talk about national issues around the Latino community specifically. So uh, when uh, this opportunity was presented to me, I thought that I thought that I have paved a, a, a long way in my life to, in my opinion, prepare myself to share a lot of things that I've learned to the Valley through Brownsville. And that's my target now is how can I help improve processes here in the community and create a condition that will then allow us to prepare ourselves for a larger economic development opportunity and then how can we share those practices across the valley and then create a, a border region that not only Texas can be proud of, but the country can be proud of and the whole world can be proud of. And I'd be happy to come here and be part of that. Before we uh, focus uh, a little bit more about your, your goals, your objectives for this region, tell us about the impact Toyota has made on that south side of San Antonio in those years you've been there. You've seen it firsthand. You know, how much of a transformation has that been? Sure. Um, you know, I'll tell you that 
another reason why the Brownsville demograph demographics and, and, and across the whole valley was so appealing to me is because they're very similar to the south side of San Antonio. San Antonio is the seventh largest city in the country. So when people would, would when I would sit at the table and work with them and, and say, this is, this is the government relations sexual affairs guy that is in the seventh largest city in the country, um, is the face for a global company. And so that carries a lot of weight, right? So when we start making asks like, what do your demographics look like? What, what are the economics behind that? What is the social stability of those demographics? And, and so although it's the seventh largest city in the country, and if you were not aware, it's by percent the largest, his, his, the largest Hispanic community of the top 50 cities in the country is San Antonio at 64%. It's larger than LA by percent. It's larger than Chicago by percent. It's larger than Miami by percent. It's a Hispanic community. However, the south side of San Antonio is 88% Hispanic, almost 90% Hispanic. So when you look at those conditions and you look at the conditions uh, around here, they're, they're very similar. When you look at, uh, and, and I call that my raw material to work with, right? And um, when you look at the dropout rate, when you look at the education attainment, when you look at the skills gap, and here all of a sudden you have a high-tech manufacturing company coming smack in the middle of that, it's immediate when you see the gaps, right? And what do we need to do to sustain the company long-term with what we have available? So my challenge there was to create processes to keep the company long-term through education and workforce programs. So what I, what I did is, it uh, took me about a year to understand current condition. I would visit the schools, I would visit, uh, visit nonprofits, chambers. You know there's 22 chambers of commerce in San Antonio? It's crazy. There's 19 school districts, it's crazy. So, so when we start looking at how are we all not working together and what do we need to work together and understand the gaps, that was a huge challenge. Um, I'll tell you that we learned a lot from, from the Twitter way is go and see. But going, on there, going out there and seeing and understanding those conditions, to me, was a, brought a lot of value to me and, and, and what I brought to the table. At that time, when I started engaging the South Side of San Antonio, which was in 2010, the local high school that was adjacent, adjacent to the Toyota plant in the same district uh, was at 89% financially disadvantaged families. And you measure that through free lunch. Today, it's at 80%. So when we start looking at what, where, where were we and where we are today and why, uh, it's because of the workforce programs that we put together and the collaboration, we've created some, some social mobility. And so now that process is in place and we can, you can see the trend now where it's gonna be in the future. Those are the kind of practices that I'd like to bring here to Brownsville, understand what are the gaps and how can we work together to mitigate those gaps through effective processes. I know that on a, on a couple of visits you've made to the Valley earlier in the year, you made some news by saying that perhaps the valley wasn't ready for advanced manufacturing. Now you're coming down here full time. I guess you want to be at the forefront of, of um, addressing that issue. And you feel that we can, this region can be strong at advanced manufacturing. Do you want to speak to that? I agree. This region is, is strong it's, it's, uh, and, and has all the assets. We just need to figure out, like, I, I, made, I, I alluded to the fact that I, I see the, the people and the students as raw material. And I think maybe maybe what we've done is is uh, and, and we did we did the same mistakes in, in San Antonio when we started. We didn't understand the raw material. How do you work it? And how do you build it and make it into a tier two system? I, I always use some manufacturing terminology. Um, you have a young demographics here, not only here in Brownsville but across the valley. You know, I believe the average is between 27, 28 years old. And when you look at the numbers that are the, the growth in that demographic, it's a huge opportunity. So your raw material is ready is ready to, to, to be molded 
for the next level. We need to do it in the right way. Uh, we don't have, in my opinion, we don't have a true knowledge and inventory of the the overall maquiladora footprint from here all the way to all the way to El Paso, maybe. And what does that look like? Uh, is it is it heavy in technology or te technical uh, components? Is is it heavy in in motor manufacturing or, or motor components, uh, automobile components? Is it heavy in medical components? What is it? And then once we start understanding that and leveraging and putting the right weight in the right uh, uh, zone, then we can start understanding how can we start migrating some of that this way and start working together in a, in a, from a binational bi sense, uh, binational perspective, and then start creating uh, the data behind the value to create partnerships here in this side of the, and then, in, and then in share that data with state agencies. Workforce Commission, Education Agency, Secretary of State, uh, uh, Lieutenant Governor, and say, how can we work together to help you as a state create opportunity here? Uh, uh, Mr. De Leon here um, mentioned the fact that we do have a lot of activity, but the activity, the activity that we, the border region, experience is just a pass-through activity. There's a lot of activity in the border on the Mexico side. We move products through here and out of here, but there's real no value left behind. So how can we figure out a way to create value while there's a path to activity? Uh, it's a long process, but it's definitely an opportunity for, for the border region. And that was going to be my next question, just how inter interconnected can the economies north and south of the, of the river become in your eyes? Well, you've seen, you've seen, uh, you've seen the change of administration, how uh, a lot of big companies are hesitant to invest we don't know what's going to happen with NAFTA. We don't know what's going to happen with the new potentially imposed tariffs. Uh, well, there are already some imposed tariffs, but there might be some more, right? And what does that look like? And um, any more big companies are looking for a regional, a regional system. And how can how can this company make money? And the end company is going to move somewhere because they're going to make money. And if we can't offer an opportunity for a company to make money, why would they come here? And it starts with education and workforce development. So if a company is going to come, whatever company that is, it's going to come to your community, what is your education and workforce strategy for long-term sustainment of that company? If we don't have that available, they're not going to look at us. So that's, 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 that's one thing. Two is, what is my product, uh, the, the availability of parts around the region to help me build my product at a cheaper rate so that I can sell it at a certain rate so that I can make money? If we don't understand all those conditions together as a community, then we can't help court that company come to our community. So all those th that requires a lot of collaboration from the schools, from leadership, elected leadership, associations, chambers, you name it, and the people. And then we can get buy-in and collaboration with the people to understand that if we do this right and we work together, we will create social mobility. And if we can create social mobility, we all win. The companies win, the families win, and the whole region wins. Mm -hmm. I'm going to probably wrap, <coughs> excuse me, wrap this up now with some closing remarks from both of you. Cesar, maybe start with you. Anything we've missed, anything else you'd like to say uh, on this uh, very um, joyous day for the GBEC? Well, as you can see, uh, <laughs> there's not much left to say. We're very happy that Mario has accepted uh, the offer. As a community, I want to welcome you. Mario, I think uh, we are ready to go on that first step. And I think it's the first right step in the right direction. And I am very glad to have you here. I want to thank you, Steve, uh, for always uh, reporting everything that's going on in the Valley, for always paying very close attention to Brownsville. And to everybody who is watching us, I, I want you to realize that this is the first step 
in many steps, but we need that first step. And that first step was finding a leader who would be disruptive. And it goes back to what I was alluding. If we look at the tr traditional models of economic development, they haven't worked for us in the last 30 years. Uh, we have a new way of doing things. I think uh, e the economy with the, near, the reshoring back to the United States, uh, the US now, the administration focusing on manufacturing, I think we are at a crossroads and this is the right moment for us to take that ball and carry it across the goal line. And I think I found the perfect person. So thank you, Steve. Thank you, Mario. Thank you, sir.